0: How about this fucking team right here? Dustin Brown, short-handed for LA, scores. Here is Golagowski. He gets leveled at the blue line by Dowdy.
1: Shoot for it, cheer for it. Uh, kind of like it. Richard puts it in front, punter scores. Well done, boy. Here's some swagger. Push come to show, we're gonna get it done. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be.
0: biggest thing that we should talk about when discussing the Kings for the past week. I mean, the top level thing is they have won seven games, and that's amazing. Yes. But I feel like the other thing that I'm not sure if we got to really talk about is the fact that Tyler Toffoli has a cute dog.
1: (laughs) Um, you know what? That absolutely should be at the top of this podcast. And what I want to devote the entire hour to is dogs. Um, yeah. Tyler Foley's dog is so damn cute. One, his name is Bruno. No idea where that name came from. Um, because as we noted in our post, uh, the dog was adopted from Wags and Walks. It had a completely different name. Yeah. Uh, wait, was it Claude?
0: Yeah, I believe that's right.
1: So he could have had a dog named Claude Julian, but instead he named him Bruno. And I desperately need to know why.
0: Yeah, I want to know the reasoning behind it. I want really all of the details about why that dog was the dog that he decided to adopt. Just tell me the story. The meet-cute between Tyler Defoli <laughs> and his puppy. That's what I want.
1: And, like, I want to know the timeline. Like, was it immediately, hey, you have mono, you're going to be out for a while, like, eat a cupcake, now I'm going to go get a dog? Um also can you just imagine him eating a cupcake with his dog who's eating a doggy cupcake? That's adorable.
0: Oh no, that's the best. Also, his dog doesn't um, walk,
1: it like struts, which I think is also amazing. precious.
0: Yeah, and fitting for someone like DeFoley who like we all saw that episode from um last week's Epics series after he had scored his hat trick. So it was like this is perfect. <laughs> Tyler Toffoli, hat trick score. And now his dog who struts because he knows how amazing his life is and also how amazing his owner is now.
1: His owner is rad. He's walking on the boardwalk by the beach. It's, like, sunny and beautiful. Look at hot dog babes. You know, is having a good <laughs> yeah. life.
0: Yeah. Um, so I wanted to just note that at the start of this, since I've we have both been thinking about it um, all week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, And I liked, I think you, I think, did you say it on Twitter or just to me? I can't remember now. Basically, at some point we're talking about how the Kings definitely should have a dog calendar now.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I, I think I read that in the post. But they should, okay, so Taylor Toffoli has a dog. Like, Dustin Brown has a dog. Andre Kopitar has the king of all dogs. Kyle Clifford has an adorable little puppy to go go with his adorable baby. Jeff Carter has, like, a whole harem, so if someone doesn't have a dog he can like loan them out. (laughs) Why do I not have a glossy photo calendar of kings and their dogs?
0: Please. Like, come on. It seems so obvious. Why can't we get this done? It needs to be done. And
1: it's not like it's unheard of. Other teams have, you know, animal plus player calendars. I think the kings could and should do
0: the same. Yes, do that. They, you know, like, the wags and walks thing, they work very closely with them and also NKLA. KLA. Uh, so I don't see why they don't, you know, make a calendar happen with players. People would buy that a lot. I would buy it. Many of them give them out as gifts. That I loved that. And it, it added an adorable element to what was already a great week and then just got even better with the Kings continuing to win ending or culminating, I should say, with them actually not only scoring in an outdoor game, but winning in an outdoor game.
1: Um. I yeah. It's been it's been good for Kings fans this week. I mean, like you said, it's a seven game win streak. So you know we haven't experienced losing this week, and it's it's been good. Um, but even though the Kings won, I realize I've only there's only been a goal horn sounded in outdoor games in
0: California once. One time. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. I, I mean, at least. They didn't, you know, find another way to disappoint even more people because as big as Dodger Stadium is, there were like 20,000 more people in Levi's Stadium. So how how was it since you were there?
1: Um, the experience was rad as hell. There were a t- obviously a ton of Sharks fans. I did sit around a few Kings fans. Um, so that was awesome. Nice. Uh, I think I might have posted a picture of this guy in a shark costume. Like, it's a full shark costume. He was there with a dude wearing a Kopitar jersey, so I already know he's got good taste in friends. But he was drunk and just, like, having the time of his life in this (laughs) costume. And so when everyone did the shark chomp, which I got to see, you know, 75,000 people do the shark chomp, which was horror-amazing – Um, He put on the costume and did that very vigorously. Um, And it was great. But yeah, I went with my mom. She had a great time. Um, The performances were awesome. Oh, really? I loved whoever said that Chris Allen looked like he was like a preacher, you know, like getting ready to lead the (laughs) church in the national anthem, because that feels very accurate. John Fogarty was great. Melissa Etheridge. I like Melissa Atheridge. Performing, not so hot.
0: So, yeah, I, I actually did go to the theater screening at LA Live with um, a couple friends, including Abby, who has written for our site. And she mentioned, too, or she reminded me that, like, Stadium Series has also at some point had, I think, Tegan and Sarah perform at them, right? Yes. So... The NHL so far truly represent for the lesbian music crowd. Yes. <laughs> for some reason. In an unexpected way. Which, rad, but not quite what I expected. So I, I liked the touch of Melissa Etheridge.
1: Yeah, it was like... Uh you can play are you like around here somewhere I don't understand but uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> um it was kind of great though because obviously these are um like John Fogerty and most Etheridge geared more towards like the older generation and there were some people sitting around me who were thoroughly enjoying the <laughs> they were uh, so pumped the, like concert experiences so
0: um that was uh, pretty pretty small as well We didn't actually get to see the perform or, like, we saw them because they were on the screen, but they didn't actually have the sound going for the performances during the intermissions in the um, LA Live Theater because for one intermission there, and it was really rad. It's not like it was a bad reason, but, like, really awesomely during, I think it was the first intermission, they had Bria McLaughlin, who was the backup goaltender for Team USA, like, the Women's Team USA, and she was amazing, like, talked about what it's like to play, um, in women's hockey, like recount, talked about some of her favorite moments from games that she's played. She is from, I think she's from Pittsburgh or around Pittsburgh or went to college around there or something. Um, Something about, I know she went to college there. I think she's also from there. But uh, really, so that was really cool. I was like, oh, this is a nice element to have. And then during the second intermission, they just played a bunch of games with people and gave away prizes. It was really awesome, though, because it was like, it was strange. Like, I walked in and immediately, like, we got there a couple of minutes late. So actually, when I walked in, it was when Kyle Clifford scored that first goal. <laughs> and so it was sort of like having the ice crew and Carlin and Bailey in somebody's giant living room <laughs> with, like, a bunch of other random people. And you're like, oh, this is a cool party. But then also Dieter was there playing all of the King's sound cues. Oh, that's so awesome. It was very <laughs> surreal, but, like, really rad. <laughs> that's super random, but really, really darn cool. Um Mm-hmm.
1: It was weird because obviously the stadium is gonna have a good sound system, but I was sitting way up, like in the booties. I was sitting up in the four hundreds, and like they didn't turn the speakers on around us, so it sounded like super tinny and weird. I don't know, like a weird muted speaker system. So we're like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, it's it's cool that you had to get there to like play all the cues, whereas I had like a weird '80s boombox. Um, kind of playing all of the (laughs) musical cues, but it's kind of it's kind of funny seeing. It was kind of fun because I've never been to a Sharks game at the SAP Center, but it was kind of fun seeing. Like obviously they played all the cues for for Sharks fans, and so seeing everyone do the same thing, it was it was pretty neat. The shark the shark chomp was just it was too much. Like people behind me were getting antsy when the Sharks didn't have a power play yet because they really wanted to do the shark chomp. so So. I'm glad that they got to do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't, the whole concept of like going to a Sharks game and like looking forward to be able to do that specific thing. It is, in a way, I actually feel pretty lucky that the Kings don't really have those types of gimmicky things at this point. Like, they don't do, like, a post-game who gets to wear, like, the special hat kind of thing, or who gets to wear the belt, or whatever the thing is that some teams do. And I kind of like that they don't, because it keeps it pretty simple.
1: Yeah, it's, like, a little less uh, to worry about. You kind of just, like, do what you want to do. Cheer if you want to cheer. Whatever. But all in all, the stadium series was awesome, um, what was less awesome, as I think people have written articles about, was trying to navigate public transportation on the way home.
0: <laughs> oh, how long did it take you guys to get back?
1: Um, well, we uh like took the BTA in from Mountain View, but the like the public transportation line it was all like lumped up into one, no matter where you were going. So mm. it was I like have a panorama of it. Um, it was it was just, like, too much. Like, I talked to some of the, the attendants there, and they're like, yeah, it's never been like this for a uh, 49ers game. Like, they've never had to deal with something like this. So my mom and I loitered around and drank beers until everyone left.
0: A good way to be. Yep. How does – like, your mom, like, I know sometimes – Particularly when you go up to visit her and stuff, she is exposed to hockey and whatnot. But does she have to ask, like, a bunch of questions, or is she just kind of like, whatever?
1: Um, she asked questions. She's like, well, one, she was like, what is everyone doing when they were doing the shark chomp? I was like, oh, this is this is, just, this is what they <laughs> <Fair> do. <question. laughs> um, so I had to explain just, like, uh, the like I kind of, like, the basics. Just like, oh, well, they're on a penalty kill right now. Oh, this is icing. Oh, this is offsides. Whatever. But really, she just had fun watching and, like, yelling when people got hit or being like, they should, you know, pass the puck. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? They really should. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, and then, uh, like I said on Twitter, her big takeaway was that Jonathan Quick was extremely cute.
0: So, Which I love and agree with. So, great taste, your mom. <laughs> and obviously,
1: she has excellent taste because he was named the first star of the week this week by the
0: NHL. yeah. I have so many things to say about that, but actually one of them is really positive and not even actually to do with his stats. But as so many people probably expected, as soon as that came out, like, automatically a conversation about the eliteness of Jonathan Quick happened, and I realized that I have gotten to a place with that argument. Like, for a while I was, like, annoyed because it seemed like every week some random person who doesn't follow the Kings would be like, by the way, have you noticed that Jonathan Quick might not be elite? And then write the same article about it. But I've gotten to the point now where I think a lot of Kings fandoms, even like people who, um, appreciate stats, including us. Um, we've never denied that Jonathan Quick is not, you know, as great as someone like Lundquist or Pecorine or, or, um, how great Rask has been and is supposed to be for the rest of his career. But, um, but, like, argument gets old. But I feel like today, when it happened, there was a, an element of fun about it that I hadn't really experienced up until now. And it was great. That's really what I want to say about that particular thing.
1: Well, I think because everyone was kind of like anticipating the backlash of <laughs> Jonathan Quick. It's weird for him to have backlash for being named a good player. Um, right, yeah. But I think everyone was expecting it and just being like, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We're all kind of in this together, being like, but is he really elite? Um, So it was kind of funny to see everyone. I don't know. It it made me kind of realize that people, most people do get it. You know, Mm -hmm. we, everyone knows that, especially like stats related included. He's not the best goaltender in the world, but he works for the Kings. He works like he's, he's a serviceable uh, goaltender for sure. But it kind of made me realize like, okay, everyone gets it. They're not just like, you know, trigger happy with the whole, like, is this, like, he's not in the league goaltender articles and whatnot. So that was kind of an interesting, like, side note um, for someone being named the best play, like, the best player of the week.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was actually fun um, for a change, I say, because in the past it's been annoying to me. But I, yeah, I really had a good time with it. And then, of course, like it's awesome that he was named for a star of the week. He did, in fact, play really well last week. So um, the Kings won all three of their games. But not only that, he um, I believe the stats are he had one point three three goals against average and a nine five nine save percentage. And it was his two hundredth win with the Kings, and the first um, goaltender to do that in Kings history, which I didn't even realize was coming up, much less that it had happened until that game ended. And it was like, oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah, it wasn't until I saw that, that I was like, oh, I mean, good job, Jonathan Quick. Also, way to be terrible every other Kings goalie. Um, Either terrible or not stay with the team, I guess, addendum for that one. Um, So I'm surprised that he's the only goaltender to win 200 with the team.
0: Yeah, although I guess we shouldn't be because at this point, like, he has set almost all of the (laughs) goaltending records. (laughs) Yes, that is very, very very true. Which is like the other, another funny thing about it is like people are going to debate how quote unquote elite he is for the rest of his career, but for the Kings, like, he is absolutely the best goaltender that they've had, at least in terms of longevity, you know? So it's it's just kind of funny that it's always sort of up for debate when it's like, maybe he is not the best goaltender of this era, but at the same time, he is absolutely somebody who, as part of the Kings franchise, has earned a lot. So... And I mean, some of those things, like win records, are about teams and whatnot. But just the fact that he has been good enough with that team to stay around is pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I really liked that. Um, obviously, I also, uh, in general, just like that. The good thing for me about when Jonathan Quick is doing well is that there is an increase in pictures of him doing the splits. Do you want to? Do you want to take a
1: moment to talk about the gift that the Kings tweeted out? <laughs>
0: can we that tweet wrecked my entire life so i don't remember exactly where i was but it was like in a situation where i couldn't actually look at it for that long and so i don't know what i expected when i first looked at it but i was like how could you just casually do this to me this is rough
1: (laughs) there was no warning it was just thrown out into the world and you were not prepared for it
0: yeah like the tweet what did it say like camouflage like it was supposed to be about the jerseys but then it was completely devastating (laughs) rough but also i loved it and then later had to go back and just like got caught in a loop for a while like goodness gracious that's what gifts are for by the way since i did just mention that that tweet pretended to be about the the jerseys or whatever what do you think what do you think of them like a lot of people seem to really hate the white pants and stuff i don't know did you hate them Especially after finally seeing the actual team in them. I hated the white pants. <laughs> I hated them so much.
1: Um, I hated them because I kept thinking that they were like vaguely see through. Yeah. And it like made me feel awkward. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, not that it really should, but I was like, this is weird. This like makes me slightly uncomfortable. And I'm not in- uncomfortable like in situations right, like right. that. Um, and they just like blended into the ice. It like looked. It looked kind of, like, bland. Like, because not, like, at least the, the Sharks had the black and have, they had the teal. So that was kind of, like, a, a good contrast, I suppose. But the Kings just had the gray and it was just, like, it blended in. I like a little bit more color. And, like, white white uniforms on white ice in, like, a gigantic stadium isn't the best thing to follow.
0: Yeah, I, I really honestly hadn't even thought about that aspect of it until you just said it. Uh, and I could see how having the white pants and really that whole like entire midsection of the uniform be white and have that blend in can be kind of strange for people to watch, especially because everybody's sitting kind of far away, even if you have the best season in the stadium. So yeah, that is pretty strange. I didn't hate – I didn't hate the whole uniform as much as other people, but um, I did think it was funny, particularly when they were in their practice jerseys with the white pants, because they totally do look like adult diapers. That was hilarious.
1: Yeah. yeah. They look just like inappropriate and like half made. I don't know. It was <laughs> yeah. very bizarre to me. I did not understand. Them.
0: <laughs> I really hope that at some point somebody talks a little bit more about why that was the choice. Um, because they could have, like, inverted that color scheme or something, but they chose not to. So, yeah, it was kind of, it was, it was really weird, and everybody seemed to hate the white pants. Um, I thought they were hilarious.
1: (laughs) I guess they didn't want to invert them because they had, like, the whole gray chrome business last season, or, like, last outdoor game, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why we couldn't have just gone, like, full, I don't know, gray, black, just, like, home team status, all the sharks be, like, home team like what's what's wrong with having a couple of bold colors toronto and detroit did it for the winter classic so true
0: i yeah that would have been cool i think to go just bold for both teams um i think the kings should have maybe integrated some of the purple and gold in their uniforms to to highlight it a little more or like contrast and be a little more vibrant maybe yeah there were, i do i am curious about why that was the thing that they settled on also i think Another option, if they just absolutely wanted to stay with a pretty monochromatic look, is emphasize more of the glitter <laughs> that they put on their jerseys. Way more <laughs> glitter, emphasis, please. Should have been sponsored by
1: like Swarovski crystals, and you know how you see like <laughs> yeah. people around uh, Staples Center with like the super blinked out numbers. Just like do that. Yeah,
0: yeah, pretty much. Just go for it. That would have been fun for me, at least. Exactly, because
1: that's all That's all I really care about is that if it's fun for me and not if it's inconvenient or weird for the players.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, they had bigger numbers on the jerseys because they wanted people to be able to see them from far away. Who cares? More glitter, please. Then you
1: would have, like, really needed the eye black
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. just
1: because no one would have been able to see anything.
0: <laughs> because all the Kings players are sparkling.
1: Uh, well, see, if the, if that it. was the case, then you have to do, like, 70s um style like uh costumes just so that's like weirdly disc I said costumes uniforms. <laughs> I'm sorry. I used to be a figure <laughs> skater. Um you have to do seventies style uh uniforms so that it can get like the whole disco ball vintage
0: feel. True. That is very true. Also you saying costumes reminded me of one other thing about those uniforms which kind of made me pro them in a weird way was that Their last practice before the stadium series game, all the defensemen were in white jerseys and white um, socks and stuff. So someone asked Robin Regeer what he thought of the white pants and everything. And he was like, well, being in so much white kind of makes me feel like a bride (laughs) on my wedding day, (laughs) which was the most amazing quote about those white pants or anything that anybody had said. So I, I loved that. Uh, I mean, way to have the white uniforms make you feel fancy. Like, I like it. <laughs> right, yeah. Way to be Robert McKeer. It feel special. <laughs> it was quite nice. And then the broadcaster, I don't remember which one it was, but he was like, well, you know, it, it looks very nice on you. It's very slimming. And Robert was just like, thank you. It was very <laughs> cute. It was really cute. I liked it. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So, uh, oh, during the game we also mentioned quickly that Kyle Clifford scored the first goal, which way to be the first Los Angeles king to score an outdoor goal in the modern era. And then Marion Gabrick had the go ahead goal, which was really awesome. It had been like 13 games, I guess, since Gabrick had scored, which like everybody's been focused on the 70s line or whatever, scoring so much that people hadn't really noticed it. But I was really glad that he finally got a goal. Um, I
1: will not lie. I definitely, after Kyle Clifford scored like out loud to my section, mostly full of Sharks fan, fans, uh, yelled, ha ha, you let Kyle
0: Clifford, Kyle Clifford score on you. So, <laughs> that's the best way to handle that. Sorry, not sorry about that one. That was, yeah, that when it happened, because I was walking in right as he scored and got into the theater to see the, like, the replays and stuff. When I found out that it was Kyle Clifford who had scored for the Kings, I was pretty amused. And, I, and from like literally from that moment, I was like, oh, the Kings are gonna win this game. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why Kyle Clifford scoring makes me so cocky, apparently. <laughs> But I guess it is sort of like, well, if you're just going to let people like Kyle Clifford score, you don't really care. You didn't come to play. Uh, That's how I feel about like a regier green scoring. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of the same deal. You're completely out of your league right now. Yes. Oh, well, it's like 20 something minutes into this podcast, but I guess we should talk about what their actual record is. So the Kings are now 28, 18 and 12 for 68 points. They are third in the Pacific Division. They are tied with the Sharks now and with Calgary in points, but ahead of both of those teams because the Kings have played fewer games, which is crazy because, again, like two weeks ago, everybody was like, the Kings might not make the playoffs. But here they are, third in the Pacific Division. If they continue their streak for a couple more games, they could be in second and have, for the time being, at least home ice advantage in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, that's just absurd. (laughs) That's crazy. The Kings have such... Like drastic, um, kind of like mood swings in terms of mm-hmm. uh, like whether they're doing well or not. So when we are suffering through December, January, some of February, um, I kind of, I mean, you wrote that thing like, oh, here's things that you can do in April when the Kings aren't in the postseason. But right, yeah, <laughs> here they are, seven games won, and Jonathan Quick is the first star and. How do I feel now? How do you feel about this? The fact that they're third in the division, seven game win streak, like we're back into like the playoff push where it actually looks like it might count and matter? Are you feeling hopeful? Or is it just like, you know, maybe this is going to go very poorly and go down very soon?
0: I feel like I feel really excited. And I'm trying to remind myself to just enjoy this period in case it doesn't continue. Because then like, at the same time, I also sort of feel like this LA Times article I read today, that was basically like, well, It rained, and so you might think that that's great for California, but actually they're still, um, California's still on pace to sort of have the lowest amount of rainfall in, like, history or something, Uh, just really below average levels of water. So uh, I'm like, well, I'm really stoked. But again, they're technically tied with the sharks in Calgary, so I can't feel too relaxed. At the same time, though, it sort of does feel like finally... All of the things that are good about this team are managing to be good at the same time. And that is awesome to watch.
1: Did you really just compare the Kings, the 2014-2015 Kings to the California water drought? (laughs) Yeah,
0: true. That's what it feels like. (laughs) So
1: so it's exactly the same, obviously. These things are on par with each other 100% (laughs) in every way.
0: Some people don't have drinking water. The Kings haven't um, won enough games. It's a rough time for California. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but that's kind of how I feel. Just like this is great. I'm really glad that it's happening, but it's only great as long as they keep it up. Because, like we talked about, like really quickly before we started recording, it seems like the Pacific Division right now, teams, other teams are also still winning for the most part. So the Kings could have gone on this seven game streak and already been like chasing the Ducks or whatever, but because teams like Calgary have still won, because the Sharks have still, they've lost a lot recently, but have still won enough to be part of the conversation and whatnot. And um, the Wild, also, Devin Dubnik came in and suddenly their season is no longer finished when they thought they were pretty much done. So there's like it's like the Kings still have to keep winning.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, one, it's very surprising that Devin Dubnik was like the savior of the Wild, by the way. But uh, I, I kind of feel... The same way in that I just try to trying to enjoy their stadium series win, trying to enjoy the fact that they're on that game streak. But it's so close in the Pacific that you can't really I don't know. And not that I, I'm not I don't have I'm not optimistic or I don't have hope or belief in the Kings um, that they can do this. But I gotta protect myself, <laughs> right. so I'm trying not to like be like, oh, well, they're obviously going to make the playoffs now because it's um, it's very tight, um, especially with the Central Division kind of like taking over those wild card spots.
0: In true Kings fashion, we just can't really feel comfortable and like assume that they will make it, even though underlying numbers and predictions and whatever are leaning that way have been the whole time, but now definitely are again. Um, it's kind of one of the things where I don't want to take any of it for granted until they actually clinch a playoff spot. Yeah, exactly. So I guess, wait, follow-up question to that, though, is if the kings do make it, what are your expectations of them? Like, that's, I feel like a very, pretty unique for um, Kings fans is the fact that they have won cups the last, you know, twice in the last three seasons, and they went to the um, Western Conference final one year. They've done a lot of good things. So does that increase your expectation for them? Or, or I think the amount of losing they've done, has it put you in a position where you're kind of like, I hope they make it, and then you kind of I don't know, just to see what happens for the playoffs? Like, do you have expectations still?
1: I have literally zero expectations. I am a, you know, one step, one game at a time, one step at a time kind of thing, where if they make it into the playoffs, awesome. I get to watch more hockey and care about more hockey. If they go any further, that's awesome. But I, it also kind of depends on how they make it into the season. Obviously, not that that really predicts anything with the whole 8th seed 2012 Stanley Cup win, but... Do I think that they, if they make it, do I think they can win the Stanley Cup? Absolutely. But am I like expecting it? Not particularly. Everything in the postseason yeah. is kind of just going to be gravy.
0: That's how I feel too. Someone tweeted at us at one point when I think we were, or it was like right when people realized, oh, they, they are actually managing finally to put together a win streak, reverse sweep the regular season. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel. Like I'm so now actually in a way that I don't think any Kings fan really expected at the beginning of the season, excited to see what they do for the regular season, the rest of it. And now it's like, well, do that. And then, like you said, anything else they do, if they make the postseason, anything that they do in the postseason will just be, all right, let's just watch this team play hockey. Maybe it'll be good. It's going to be
1: rad if they win games. It's going to be fine if they don't. So we'll just
0: enjoy all of the wins um, right now and kind of just go with it. Um, an interesting thing from, or I've seen people talk about more and more now that the playoff push is here for a lot of teams, is the idea of depth scoring. And it came up during the stadium series stuff, particularly because in the last few weeks, as much as Toffoli and Carter and like King have been scoring, there has been also, of course, goals from like Jordan Nolan and, again, Kyle Clifford with that first goal in the stadium series game. So a lot of depth effort and participation and it's been noticeable to people so I guess somebody sort of asked about that asked Daryl Sutter about that and he said at one point about fourth lines in general he said if they're only if they're only five or six or seven minute players then you're not a playoff team which I thought was really interesting because I feel like even though that trend is maybe has maybe been happening for a couple of years it's only now really coming to the forefront of sort of the team conversation and what makes a good team. And um, I thought it was interesting, especially for someone like Daryl Sutter, who is will really, truly limit his fourth line in particular or whatever, um, to say something like that, to acknowledge, like, look, your fourth lines have to have some kind of skill also. Is that something you've noticed, I guess, watching the Kings or even other teams?
1: Um, I definitely notice it sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad, because sometimes if... I, and we say this all the time um, I'll be like oh this looks like it's a, like a play is developing oh wait it's Kyle Clifford with the puck right yeah don't know how much is gonna happen but I definitely agree with Daryl Sutter in that um, the fourth line should be more than a way for your top you know one or two lines to get some rest you know they should have more significance they should have more impact in the game than just like a body that's out there to eat up time so players on the the bench can kind of rest a little bit, and so um, I we do laugh at the fact that Daryl Sutter will definitely put people in the doghouse. But I mean, I think that's to make a point. But overall, he's pretty solid about kind of uh, distributing like pretty like decent um, ice time for for the bottom the bottom six.
0: Yeah, and I think actually even to speak to sort of people like Clifford or Nolan not really being finishers. I think maybe it probably still says something that, you know, in the past, people thought of fourth lines as like shut down guys. They had to at least be able to defend well enough not to get scored against. But with the Kings fourth line, they might not be able to score, but they will often be in the offensive zone, right? Because the Kings are such a puck possession team. So I think maybe that is at least a credit to them too, that like they don't necessarily always get goals, but they will still try to get shots. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because they're good enough to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, they can like put the pressure on and kind of change the momentum of like, you know, maybe they were struggling before, but here comes the fourth line kind of, You know, getting into the offensive zone, peppering the goalie with some shots, whether they are decent or not. um, Kind of knocking the other team around and it kind of, you know, jumpstarts everyone else. So Mm -hmm. um, they definitely do their
0: part and they do it well. And I was thinking about like the idea of depth score. I mean, I think I think about it a lot. But again, with this season, because now um, it started actually in the summertime, like when Dan Bilesma got fired from the Pittsburgh Penguins there was a lot of stuff about how even though the Penguins were generally a pretty good possession team when people were healthy and whatnot, the way that that whole organization was built that there wasn't a lot of depth scoring. And now throughout this season, people have noticed that Sidney Crosby isn't scoring as much as maybe he used to when he was a rookie or something like that. And so there's this weird debate now where people are like, is Sidney Crosby old and declining? And I think about that whole idea of depth scoring because I remember, goodness, now I'm all of a sudden, Tyler Dello. <laughs> he had a post <laughs> that was talking about sort of the split between the scoring of top lines and your bottom, your third and fourth line. And the Penguins were one of the most drastically split teams where it was like because you have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and their lines generally score a lot because those two players are really good at setting people up or scoring themselves. And then like a drop off and you had. The um, the third and fourth lines for the Penguins. And so I think about that, like if the Penguins ever managed to freaking figure out how to solve their depth scoring issues, and possibly like when the Penguins all of a sudden couldn't score any goals against the Bruins a couple years ago, and people were like, oh, it's because, you know, Malkin and Crosby went four games without scoring a goal or whatever. Well, it's like, well, maybe if they had people who could score on their depth lines maybe they do make it out of that series i don't know and maybe at some point the penguins have a second cup for those two players like so then do you have the same debate and now it's kind of a a debate that's weirdly about people having to try to explain or defend Sidney crosby when maybe it's not actually about him um does that make any sense yeah no
1: totally that it's you know as much as crosby is a fantastic player he can't carry the whole team and, yeah. you know, he's allowed to have, you know, his slumps like everyone else. And sometimes he needs help from the players around him. So because mm-hmm. um, he can only do so much. So if he's forced to shoulder the load, that's definitely going to take a, his like a toll on him, whether physically or mentally as, you know, as good as he is. So if the the Penguins did have like a little bit more depth, a little bit more, Um, kind of a quality amongst the lines, then maybe it would be a bit easier to kind of set things up knowing that um, you don't have to do it all yourself.
0: And I think even to just, like you could relate it back to the Kings because people at this point, you know, the last couple of years, it's like, well, who are the best centers in the league? And I'll be like, well, Sidney Crosby. And then there's this debate over whether the next in line is Jonathan Taves or Andre Kobitar. And first of all, like Jonathan Taves has not had... I mean, and maybe it'll change this season, I don't know, but he's had, I think in his career, 170 goal season, or 170 point season, I'm sorry. And Kopitar has had a few of them, but he is notoriously, like, somebody who people are like, he should shoot more and whatnot, and they're fortunate enough to be on teams where other people do score and their teams win and have gotten the Stanley Cup or whatever, but it's not like it's just those top-line centers or whatever who have done all of that scoring, and so... You know, if, if that doesn't happen, maybe they're under the same debate, too. It's like, oh, these guys are good, but their teams don't win, so we don't talk about it. You know, so there's a problem with them, too. And, and so I wonder about, like, stuff stuff like that.
1: Yeah, especially if, uh, you know, Koptar Taves, all of them are, you know, excellent two-way players. So they'll sacrifice the scoring for being defensively, you know, minded. And other people will pick up the slack um, in terms of scoring. So if you are forced to do it all, you you really, you can't you
0: just you can't one person can't be an entire team which is i think at the same time super frustrating because with the penguins in particular they do totally have two of the best players best centers in the game right now especially in terms of point producing with crosby and malkin so figure it out (laughs) but um related to the kings though pensburg because when they were they were talking about that kind of scoring and trying to see where the Kings, where the Kings, where the Pens fall, they did a post that talked about the balance of scoring, of forward scoring um, on all 30 NHL teams. And one thing that was heartening to see as a Kings fan was, I mean, we know this, but it was kind of cool to see it laid out in a little quick graph as well, was the fact that the Kings have very balanced scoring and... So it seems like even though they don't have like a standout goal scorer who's just like racking up points for them all the time or racking up goals for them all the time, more specifically, they do have a really balanced approach. And so it's like, oh, you can have guys like Kyle Clifford or Trevor Lewis or, you know, Jordan Nolan or whatever, who maybe seem like they don't contribute enough or a whole lot in terms of point production, but they do it enough that the Kings continue to win. So um, that was cool to see. I think this just
1: also reminds me of the whole us trying to find the face of the franchise or like the superstar player that stands out for the Kings, and I mm-hmm. guess, well, no, I was gonna say I guess it's and I I still don't know, but it's kind of that whole like everyone does their does their piece kind of like together, you know. There's yeah. like not really one person that kind of stands out too much. I mean, obviously Drew Daddy's the best one of the best defensemen in the league, Andre Kiptar, same thing with being um, a center there, you know, Quick's a uh, great goalie. Um, I'm just going to say he's an elite goalie, whatever. Um, and and things like that. And, you, and we've obviously got a, a lot of great, uh, like, pure goal scorers, but no one really stands out. Everyone kind of does their part, and it's pretty it's pretty evenly balanced, which I think, you know, considering they've won two Cups, got to the conference final In the last three years, is a pretty good recipe for um, a team that can consistently do well.
0: I am curious to see if at any point, and maybe it won't happen while this era of the Kings, while these guys are playing, but maybe later when people talk about the efforts of individual players. Because, like, if you look at the NHL stats page and stuff, it's over the last few years you're probably hard-pressed to find individual Kings players that show up on the first page almost no matter what category you sort by, unless it's like face-offs or something, or hits, right? Yeah. If you're looking at real-time stats. Um, but it's hard to deny with the amount of winning that they do that they have or they have had enough pieces to get where they want to be. And some of it is luck, obviously, but I think you know they've done it enough times in this, at least the small run of years, run of seasons, that it's like some of it, something, they're doing something right. Um, and so I wonder if there will be any instance of like, sort of redefining, I guess, how we talk about, or quantify, at least narratively, um, the contributions of single players. Because, yeah, like, Drew Doughty is one of the most interesting, like, and, and effective and talented defensemen in the league right now. He doesn't put up crazy points. You know, he shoots a lot, but he doesn't put up crazy points. Um, Ajay Kopitar does not score crazy amounts of goals consistently. So, but all of those guys are really good at what they do. So, I don't know. It's interesting. I think that the Kings can simultaneously all be really talented, but also not, like, crazy stellar people are talking constantly about all the highlight real things that they do individually
1: yeah i i don't know i think ever you're always going to want to lean to find like the one person who's doing a lot so i don't know if like narratively like you said it's ever really going to change but um maybe
0: there will be a spot for you know the the well-balanced team i guess on a sort of a tangent for that kind of thing is Today, there was a piece published by the Players Tribune from um, Igor Lurianov. Um It was called The Beautiful Game. And he was basically, it was in part to sort of promote the documentary, The Red Army, that's about the Soviet team. But also, it just talked sort of about the game in general and the way it's changed and whatnot. And he thinks that it has become the North American style of hockey it has become a little too simplified and basically tries to wean out creativity in players really early and um i don't it, it was very interesting i'll read a part of it just to so basically what he says is like there's a he has a part where he says there's a reason why pavel datsuk went undrafted in 1996 and 1997 and then he just talks sort of about the philosophy of it he says Quote, the problem is more philo- philosophical and starts way before players get to the NHL. It's easier to destroy than to create. As a coach, it's easier to tell your players to suffocate the opposing team and not turn the puck over. There are still players whose imagination and creativity capture the Soviet spirit. Um, Johnny Goudreau in Calgary, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves in Chicago, just to name a few. However, they are becoming exceptions to the rule. Many young players who are intelligent and can see the game four moves ahead are not valued. They're told, simple, simple, simple. That mentality is kind of boring. Nobody wants to get fired. Nobody wants to get sent down to the minors. If you look at the coaches and juniors in minor league hockey, many of them were not skilled players. It's a lot of former enforcers and grinders who take these coaching jobs. Naturally, they they tell their players to be just like them. Their players are 17, 18 years old, younger than I was when I joined the Red Army team. Say what you want about the whiplash mentality, talking about the movie, or the Soviet mentality. But if coaches are going to push kids at that age, why are they pushing them to play a simple game? Why aren't coaches pushing them to create a masterpiece? We lose a lot of Pavel Datsics to the closed-minded nature of the AHL and the NHL, Um, which I found interesting because I think it sort of contrasts in some ways, what the Kings have done, because they talk about constantly how they play like a simple game and they don't have very many sort of flashy players or anything like that, but they win a lot. So, uh, I thought, I thought it was kind of interesting sort of, I mean, I don't know, like, do you feel like when you watch games that there isn't a lot of offensive creativity or things like that? Um, I do, especially since they keep, you know, doing things
1: like, oh, no spinoramas or like that's being too cocky or that's being, you know, like it, it's always it's so much about the team that no one really wants to emphasize like the talent of one player, which I understand where they're coming from. But mm-hmm. I mean, let these people do what they do best. Like, uh, you know, you talk all all the time about like, people's hockey IQ, or, like, they can just see the game so much better than everyone else. Like, I don't understand why people wouldn't use that to their advantage. Um, Dana Bryson in the last Epics episode just talked about how, like, creatively, you know, Drew Doughty is a genius, and we've seen him do, you know, countless end-to-end um, crazy just, like, goals. Um, and I definitely do think that it's stifled a little bit. I don't think it's stifled completely. Obviously, we've seen some excellent goals from some people, but I can see, like, I, I don't see why they couldn't just be like, hey, if you have the opportunity and it's not going to, you know, be a detriment to the overall, like, team, if you've got a chance to do something fancy, like, I guess, sure. Like, if it's going to risk, like, a surefire goal, but you just want to, like, do something cute, like, don't do that. You know, definitely go with the team mentality there, but it does seem like it's a little bit more of a simple game than like, I don't think anyone's, you know, encouraging people to learn like crazy trick shots to use in games or anything like that.
0: It's fascinating because, I mean, I am somebody who really appreciates watching good defense, but at the same time, like it's true. I, I would love to, I mean, I like offense as much as anybody and As complicated as my feelings for Drew Doughty will be probably for the rest of time. Yes. I can't deny that in the last playoffs, his tying goal in game one in the Stanley Cup final was probably the coolest goal of the playoff run for me. It was was amazing. And, like, nobody really saw it coming. Like, the through the legs thing. Like, it was just really fun to see. So yeah, and it would be cool to see more of that. I think like every time Kopitar does that crazy saucer pass, like 150 feet down the ice to find a guy who is already, you know, who's behind the play and suddenly now in perfect position for breakaway. (laughs) um, That's amazing. But you don't see it all the time. You don't see guys trying to do crazy stuff like that. So yeah, it was an interesting sort of thing to think about because then it maybe want to made me want to consider if there were any coaches who I guess seemed to still kind of at least try to um, encourage some creativity on the ice. Um, the only thing that I could really think of off the top of my head was like the season that the Preds are having after being under Barry Trotz who is everybody's talked about really defensively minded and now under Peter Peter Laviolette, like the Preds have been much more creative offensively, and they've been winning a lot. So, um, so people are gonna let it continue to happen until they stop winning. Um, but that was kind of the only thing that came to mind right away.
1: Well, okay, first for the Preds, like obviously they had their way of doing things, and it wasn't getting them anywhere. So it was definitely you know a, a positive thing for them to kind of have the reins loosened up a little bit, so that they can you know try something new, and obviously that's working. So
0: you know, go with that. That is a good point that probably the reason that the Predators were afforded a chance to do something a little different, or at least try stuff, is because what they were doing wasn't working. And so in a way, I kind of think that is, I don't want to say unfortunate, but, you know, for the Kings, like, what they've been doing is working. So um, they're probably not going to change it too much. Although at the same time, I will say that I think that's why Kings fans are so excited about people like, I mean, like Marion Gabrick and like Jeff Carter when they came to the team, but even more excited for guys that the Kings have developed as a system like Tanner Peterson and Tyler DeFoley, because it's like, oh, maybe this isn't a system that's so defensively focused and so adamant about keeping things simple and responsible that they drain, you know, the excitement from players completely. Because like those two guys have been amazingly fun to see, you know, develop their game and get better and score goals.
1: And I see why coaches would want to play maybe, like, the safer route. But in terms of, like, if you want to talk about, you know, the NHL wanting to branch out to more people, I mean, Mm -hmm. there is nothing, I don't think there's anything more than some, like, show-stopping goal or something like that that will get people, like, excited and interested yeah. in what's going on and people who like can't get that out of their mind and you know maybe pick up a stick or go to a few more games or you know talk about it a little more so i definitely think that it i'm i'm glad that it's not gone completely um i don't know if i would really want to see like so much more of it because i definitely think it's like okay well now you're just being too showy mm-hmm. but hey why not have a have a fancy goal
0: yeah i think they're has to be still a balance between exciting hockey and good hockey, right? Yeah. For the casual fan, like for people who don't watch the sport very often, I'm sure a game like that Kings Predators game where there were 13 goals was entirely exciting. It was exciting even for Kings fans, but that was because the Kings had a really exciting unexpected comeback in that game. But I don't want to watch that game all the time, you know? Like it was not the greatest night for either team.
1: Yeah, it was not a good show. Like, 13 goals is not a good game. (laughs) (laughs) It's cool because you
0: see a lot of goals, but in in the whole grand scheme of things, that is not a good thing. How exciting. But also, everybody played terribly, (laughs) essentially. So, yeah. So I, I think some balance, but I do... I do think it can be frustrating, like, when Daryl Sutter is like, I'm going to bench Tyler Toffoli for the entire third period. Or when he would, like, healthy scratch Jake Muzzin because they wanted to teach them lessons or whatever. I mean, it's like, I understand, but also, you could play them because they're good, and maybe they'll figure it out. (laughs) Um,
1: It's funny that even though we want to see, like, nice fancy goals, we're both not fans of the... um,
0: the shootout oh yeah no the shootout is bullshit <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible
1: like I, um, I like the like the skills behind it if it weren't yeah. attached
0: to the game right exactly which is why i think i don't even necessarily mind the idea of going to something like longer um overtimes that include like three on three because i think at least there's still some element of, you know, it's a little, it's a little closer to what the game actually is, rather than just, like, one-on-one, maybe your goalie stops it, or maybe he doesn't, kind of thing. Yeah. I don't like the weird, like, change of pace, like this go-go-go of of playing this,
1: like, super hard-hitting game, and then, like, lounging around and, like, penalty shot styling um, the end, like, the end result. I think that's stupid.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the change in momentum is weird, so I don't, I still don't like the shootout, but... I do like watching fun hockey as well. So um, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting article. Um, It went around a lot today, but if you haven't read it, you should because it was really also just nicely put together. Way to go, Igor Larianov. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Um, uh, I think there isn't a whole lot, I guess, that we haven't talked about with the Kings this week, except maybe they're still sort of in the background as the trade deadline looms closer and closer. Um, Trade rumors... There have been a, a little bit of talk of the Kings being inter- interested in people like Roman Polak, um, but then they were like, not that interested, calm down. And Andres care. but there are other teams interested in him. So we don't really know if there's any player that they are close to getting a deal together on. And we don't really know what they're offering other than maybe Jordan Real and maybe eventually finding someone who will take Mike Richards' contract. So yeah, at least that's all I've heard. Have you heard anything else?
1: Um I haven't really heard anything else either. It's just that the Kings need a defenseman and they're probably going to buy one, but who it will be like it's been because of the Kings past few seasons with the trading of Jeff Carter and the trading of the Mar- of Marian Gabrick and now or the acquisition of them I suppose. Um and how successful that's been and now that it's like a trend or a, a pattern that has emerged. And everyone's just, like, constantly talking about who the Kings are going to get this time to, you know, push them forward to do well in the playoffs or what have you. Um, And with a whole, like, extended talk of them possibly trading with Toronto or whatever, it's just kind of I want something to happen. Like, before it was like, oh, the trade deadline, they're probably going to acquire something. Okay, cool, whatever. But now I'm just like, all right, get it over with because I feel like we've been talking about it for too long and it's been, like, a lot of emphasis has been put on it. In terms of like, oh, well, this is a thing that the kings are going to do. This is going to be another step for them to, you know, go for another cut because that's the way that it's been in the past. And it's just kind of, at this point, kind of exhausting.
0: Yeah, right, if I you're know. gonna make a move, just make a move. How much longer are you and the Maple Leafs gonna talk to each other? You should know by now.
1: I'm like <laughs> tired of hearing. Like, uh, I feel like it's a like TMZ style. Like, this scout was uh, seen at the Kings game. What's
0: gonna happen, or whatever it is? It's <laughs> yeah. like I'm done with that. <laughs> just make the move already. Although I will try to. The thing about people talking about the Gabrick and Carter trades is that they were forwards. So the Kings so far. Really good records in the last few years for trading forwards who helped them make deep runs, but defensemen they have traded for recently are Brayden McNabb and Robin Regeer, and now they're looking for a defenseman. Let's not get too in our <coughs> heads about this just yet. Anything could happen.
1: That's very, very true. The Kings don't have the best uh, history with trading defensemen, so
0: um, it'll be yeah. entertaining either way. Yes. Um, and you're right. I agree with you. I, I want them, whatever move it is, to just happen already, because especially not knowing if they're going to have to give up another roster player or something to make a good deal happen is stressing me out. <laughs> so <laughs> I just need it to to get through it to know if I have to mourn someone <laughs> um, sooner rather than later, please.
1: Yes. I, yeah, I would like to know the same thing.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that's all we have. So a little, our our podcast is a little late because again, um, like Diane was in San Jose and we had scheduling things, but here it is. We've done pretty much an hour for everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Follow us on Twitter at thanksbud, T-H-X, B-U-D, um, or individually, I am at Berlin. And I'm at AKA Diane Fan. You can email us, chirp at thanksbud.com. Um, another thing I always forget about, but apparently is relevant, uh, is if you like the podcast, hopefully, but even if you're just so-so on it, you can rate us on iTunes. That really helps. Um, also, I guess comments are a big deal as well. So if you like this podcast and you want to rate it, it and take a couple minutes to do that, We appreciate it. You can, if you want to leave a comment, you can. I think a good comment to leave would be letting us know if, as we talked about several podcasts ago, a King's player were to deliver you a pizza, who would it be and why? (laughs) I would like to know these things. I like hearing people's choices for this kind of random stuff. Or if you Um, want to talk about dogs. Oh yeah, dogs. If you (laughs) could put together like a King's dog calendar, who would get what month? It's a big deal. Let us know. Uh, oh, also Ticket Monster, if you want to buy King's tickets. And I think that's all. Anything else from you, Diane? Um, I think that will do it for this week. Awesome. All right. We will talk to you guys this weekend. Take care, friends. Be good to each other. And, uh, we'll catch you later. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys.